Hi, I'm Kat. And I'm Emma. If you love the Dead Prank podcast, you can help support its future using the ACAST supporter feature. Now, it's up to you how much you give and there is no regular commitment. So if you can and you want to, please do hit the link in the show description to support now. Thank you. Thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ah. <laughs> Why do you like this? It's the intro music. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to the DPC podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things dead parent, the good, the bad and the banter, hosted by Sam and Kat. This week on Wednesday the 10th of October, it is Mental Health Awareness Day. The World Federation for Mental Health established World Mental Health Day on the 10th of October in 1992. Each year it has a different theme, like a different focus for the year. This year the theme is Young People and Mental Health in a Changing World. They've released like a big document with loads of stats and really interesting stories. So we'll link to that maybe on our social or in the show notes. We'll see where we can do it. Um, they've got a few really interesting and crazy stats in there half of all mental illness begins by the age of 14 and most cases go undetected or untreated it's quite astonishing that suicide is the second leading cause of death among 15 to 29 year olds Mm -hmm. so also when they talk about young people for the sake of all their studies and everything they talk about people from the age of 15 to 25 ish young people that grow up with additional stressors due to the effects of trauma Transgender discrimination, major mental illness, bullying and suicide are far more likely to have mental health issues throughout the rest of their lives. World Mental Health Day 2018 will show the importance of creating more services and better care for our young people and the issues they're experiencing the most these days. So we're really keen to support this day and to obviously get the word out and we're really looking forward to everyone sharing their stories. So Kat didn't actually know I was going to spring this on her before we got on the call today. I thought she'd be the perfect DPC guest to talk to us ahead of Mental Health Day, for reasons which we'll hear about in the interview. So I'm very pleased to say she has agreed to be in the spotlight this week. All about me this week, baby. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I can't believe what you said about the fact that it started in 1992, because I swear I didn't hear anything about this until like yeah, three same. years ago. And I also didn't realise this is an international thing as well. Yeah, it's amazing. And I think it's cool that they've got different um, themes as well every year. And it's funny how this year's theme has definitely mm-hmm. got links to what we're doing, so that's perfect. Before we start, this is a kind of exciting and weird one for us. You may have seen it on Instagram, but Sam is actually in Australia now. Good day. She's having some sort of crazy quarter-life crisis. Um, <laughs> and you can actually read all about it, the Vidlife Crisis blog. The link is in her bio on Instagram. Follow us on that. She's there for probably at least a year so if we weren't already making it difficult for ourselves we're actually going to be recording the rest of the podcast remotely so I'm in the UK it's currently 9 45 in the morning she's in Australia I think it's like 6 45 at night exactly that yep yep 
So thank God for the internet. Um, <laughs> so we hope this sounds okay, but this is a complete trial right now, and we are praying that this is going to work because otherwise we don't know what we're going to do. <laughs> <laughs> so true. Hard <laughs> <God> work. <laughs> Please, Lord, help us now. <laughs> okay, so I suppose we'll just jump right in then, Catherine. Yeah, that's what we like to do, isn't it? We do. We don't want to. We don't like to um, beat around the bush. Your mum passed away nearly three years ago from cancer. We know that obviously. We spoke about it before in previous podcasts and on our Instagram and stories and stuff. But you actually have had a much more um, colourful experience with cancer. I'm hoping that you'll be able to take us back kind of right to the very beginning. Oh my goodness, so crazy. Um, I think my mum was diagnosed with cancer when I was in college. And it's so crazy how I can still literally, literally like vividly remember her telling me that she had to go to the doctors about something and they were worried that it was cancer. And I was just sat in the car and I was like, no, like, this isn't happening to me, like, that's not happening. Was it like a sit you down and say, this might be happening, or was that just a kind of passing comment? No, I had literally been picked up from a weekend at Wakestock, a festival in Wales, um, and we were nearly home, and I think we were just kind of talking, and then she was like, I can't remember the exact conversation, but I know that it kind of got brought up a little bit kind of off the side, like, it was just like, they were like, oh, we're a bit worried that it's something, like, bad so I was just kind of like oh this isn't happening to me blah 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 um and the night that I found out I was actually at my current boyfriend's house at the time with his mum and I'd got a call from them from my mum and I was like and I knew that she'd been to the doctors today and I was like hi like how did everything go and it was there over the phone that she told me that she'd been diagnosed with bowel cancer um and I remember like I was at their house at the time and I was just distraught, like so upset. And I think it's just such a crazy thing because it doesn't really happen to many people, especially when you're quite young. I think I I was 16 at the time. So it was just like insane. Um, And how did, obviously you were at your boyfriend's house, how did like he react to you? Just like, how did that? I was quite lucky really because I was really close to his mum and his mum had died of cancer when she was 19. So they were really good. Like they just let me cry. I just cried and cried and cried <laughs> but like little did I know that that would be literally nothing compared to kind of everything that was kind of going to going on at the same time um so my mum was actually disabled as well and she was born like hemiplegic which meant that she didn't have very much use of the left hand side of her body like her left arm and her left leg I still find like so mad when you see obviously pictures and stuff and hear all the stories about her like you yeah you don't realize it do you yeah it is crazy and to be fair I think she was very much more aware of it than the rest of us were like I never kind of I never considered her as as being disabled like whenever she said she couldn't do something I'm like don't be stupid of course you can do it and she'd always do this thing when she goes I've only got one arm and I'm like mum you haven't only got one arm you've got both arms just one of them's a little bit retarded (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) um but because she had bowel cancer she ended up getting her part of her bowel removed and that was actually really difficult for her because she then had a stoma bag. Um, stoma bags aren't talked about very often. I didn't even know what one was before it happened. And I think there's definitely a taboo surrounding the subject. And I would really like to kind of target that taboo a little bit because so basically the tube is the tube directly kind of takes in all of your like feces and stuff. So that because obviously you can't she can't she couldn't go properly anymore because there was nowhere to hold it. Um, 
so that was where all of it would go. And then with the stoma bag, you'd then have to remove it. So it's constantly attached to your stomach. You'd have to remove it and empty it. Yeah, so that was really difficult for my mum because, in fairness, like she couldn't use her left hand that well. <laughs> um, and it's definitely a two-hand job. <laughs> so that made it really difficult. And I think my mum struggled with mental health a lot throughout her whole life. That was like That affected her a lot. And she was just desperate to get rid of it. So after her radiotherapy and stuff, when she was offered more chemo to kind of attack her cancer a bit more to try and make sure it didn't come back or get the stoma bag removed, she chose to get the stoma bag removed because it was just giving her so much grief and she was so conscious about it and she didn't want to go swimming and she felt it just like affected everything. She was always scared of smelling and stuff and she never did, but... I think it's just one of those things. Um, so yeah, she ended up getting it removed and she got the all clear, but unfortunately, it must have been about a year later when I was in my first year at uni in February. My dad came and picked me up one day from uni. I thought he'd been impressed at the time. I found out when I got home that he'd actually come all the way from home to pick me up and take me back home again um, to, to find out that she'd been diagnosed terminal. Oh, you found out she was terminal? Yeah, in the first year at uni. Yeah, in February. I I was sat in the car on the drive and my dad told me when it was just the two of us and I I felt like everything had just come crashing down. Like it was it's just the most horrendous, horrendous feeling. And I walked into the house and my mum was sat in like the snug room that we've got and her mum was there as well, my grandma and Mim. And I just lay there and I was just distraught. Mm-hmm. And my mum was crying and it was oh it's just such a horrible experience. I feel like it's such a blur now. Were your brothers there as well? No, my brothers weren't at home. So did they? How did they find out? To be honest with you, I don't actually know. Um, it might have been a phone call. I've I, I actually haven't got a clue how they found out. To be honest, it's strange that really. <laughs> I imagine it probably would have been a phone call because I don't think they would have waited until they saw them. Because I don't I don't think my brothers and I really even spoke about the fact that she'd been diagnosed terminal when it happened either. Or at least I've got no recollection of it, but it was all such it was just it was such a crazy kind of time. Actually, before this, before I found out she was terminal, my dad had been diagnosed with prostate cancer. That was at the beginning of my first year at uni. So he'd had treatment and had an operation. So we'd been through all of that as well. <laughs> Were they both going through treatment at the same time? No, not at the time. But whilst whilst my mum was going through treatment, my dad had a really bad kind of mental breakdown. It was all just basically just a massive shit show. <laughs> I knew you were just gonna say those two words. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It really was just an absolute shit show. My time at college is just stress and just it's just an absolutely awful time. And that was when I first started getting panic attacks and struggling with my mental health a bit. And that was when I first started seeing counsellors. So I had a counsellor at college that I saw every week. And that was the start of my mental health journey. <laughs> so when like when you because I think that's really brave to see like counsellors at college and stuff because I think even then it still wasn't spoke about as much as it is now so was there um kind of someone that you spoke to initially or like did you go straight to the doctors like how did you um even get um we were you like diagnosed with anything at that point kind of what happened around that yeah so I was on tablets at the time called proponolol say the word I don't know Propanolol. <laughs> the job of that is to lower your heart rate because I was getting panic attacks and it was the role of that is it's kind of like an anti-anxiety tablet to try and calm you down so I was on that for a while and at college I don't actually know how I 
managed to get access to the counsellor. Mm. I don't know whether I sought her out myself, which I may have done, because I know she had an open door policy, and then you could um, then you could start getting weekly sessions with her. Because I kept it quite hidden from the college for a while. Once I'd started seeing the counsellor, she then informed my kind of head of year at the college, and she then informed my tutors. She was lovely as mm. well. I've been, like she was. I think she's probably one of the best counsellors I've ever had. She was really, really nice. Back then, counsellors could talk a lot more freely than they can now. There's a lot of pressure on counsellors now to not give any specific advice. They have to, their job is just to listen to you and not, they can't be that proactive really about it. Unless they're like a cognitive behavioural therapist counsellor, which I saw at uni. Um, They can't really do much but listen to you. But back then I think it was a little bit more relaxed and she was definitely a big help, definitely. Probing around this again, did when you were going through the counselling in college, did your mates and stuff know that you were going through it at the time? Not originally, but then, yeah, I did tell them after a while. But I think I think back then, they didn't. They definitely didn't ask many questions. Yeah, I think it was just one of those things like, oh, right, okay, cool. You'd, I do think you realise the severity of it. Like, I was only... 16, 17, I shouldn't really have had to have been going to counselling sessions every week. There's, there's definitely reasons behind that that could have been discussed more than they were. Were any of your friends also going through similar things? No, definitely not. I was I was the only one in that in that kind of... I don't, I don't think I knew anybody at that time whose mum was poorly or whose father was poorly. It was just, just me. So it's quite, quite a lonely time as well. And my boyfriend at the time as well... He, he was pretty he wasn't a very good boyfriend to say the least I don't want to call him out on a podcast <laughs> but, he, but he also made my life really stressful and awful so mm. I think the mixture of that with what was going on at home was just a really bad combination so it was a really bad time for me at college and then but how, so how did you do at college did you did you do a levels yeah so I did a levels I originally applied to go and do nursing and I'd be <laughs> and I'd been accepted for a place at, Man- at Bangor University in Wales. And then with everything that was going on, I actually, I was adamant that I wasn't going to get my grades. And I was living at my boyfriend's house at the time with his family during my exams because my mum and dad had had some sort of crazy mental breakdown and I had to be kicked out of the house. <laughs> um, So I wasn't living at home and I was living at his house and that was just really weird and awful. Yeah, so I was adamant that I wasn't going to get my grades, so I kind of cancelled all of my UCAS applications, and I just admitted to myself that I was going to be there for another year. I was like, I'm just going to have to do another year at college to get my grades for uni. And then... Yeah. No, I had no idea you applied to be in a... or applied to nursing. Did you not? No. <laughs> Hasn't that funny? My life would have taken a completely different route. <laughs> yeah, mad. Like, it, it, so, like, this whole experience had already sort of changed your life. Yeah, completely. Yeah. I just think because to be fair I think I would be a really nice nurse <laughs> but <laughs> just trying to imagine you as a nurse I think you would but also <laughs> like I don't know I think you'd like you'd shock people they'd just be like <laughs> oh yeah you'd shock people you're too open <laughs> yeah you'd be too open about it you'd be like shouting about I don't know like people's like bowel movements in the mate in the waiting rooms <laughs> <laughs> yeah it is so true I would be a really weird nurse in fairness I definitely wouldn't be a calm one but then again though Sam like you've known me since after all of that happened which has definitely shaped my personality as well yeah. after everything that happened with mum I definitely became more sort of just like not just didn't care yeah do you know what I mean so I think if that hadn't have happened I may not have, I may not be as 
Well, <laughs> Unhinged. <so, yeah. laughs> Nothing is hidden, literally. <laughs> I don't know if it's... I mean, it's definitely a good thing, but I'm definitely not everybody's cup of tea. <laughs> You're definitely my cup of tea, girl. Oh, thanks. So, so <laughs> I don't know, moving on to uni, I suppose. Obviously diagnosed, terminal. My mental health took a massive hit in my first year. I was lonely. I was upset. This was after Freshers Week. Yeah, yeah. This is January, February time. So I just kind of really struggled in uni in my first year, really. I kind of, I didn't have that many really really good friends like a group like a group of friends really at the time and I became very a bit more a bit of a recluse really like not going out very much and sat in my room all the time it was just really depressing I think that's something that well definitely wasn't spoken about um when I was at uni I literally sound so old it was only two years ago but the fact that university there's like, people don't realise how lonely it can be. Yeah, really. I think it's because you feel like you're surrounded by so many people your own age and you shouldn't mm-hmm. be lonely. Yeah. But you really are. And there's so much pressure as well to... Think about this the other day, like, the amount of pressure that there is to, like, make it... Like, make those years of your life, like, the best years of your life. That's what people tell you when you're about to start yeah. university. Like, all these things that people were telling you you were going to do... I just felt so much pressure on that. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I feel like you feel like to meet those expectations, you have to be going out all the time and constantly with people. And when you are on your own, you're like, oh my God, I'm at uni and I'm on my own. Like, what's wrong with me? Why aren't I with other people? Whereas you need to be alone sometimes, you know? Yeah, definitely. I've definitely learned more about that as I've gotten older. Value that time a bit more doing stuff that, especially to not be on your phone and alone, as in, you know, when you're on your own and you just flip yeah. through Instagram and stuff. If you're doing that, you're not, you're not really on your own, are you? Because you're looking at everybody else's lives and sat in your bed and thinking, you can't help but subconsciously think, all oh, these people are having such a great time and I'm sat at home on my own. So I try and take that time now to like read a book or especially now with the podcast going on, it's so nice to be able to do stuff for that, like the website and editing and social posts and stuff like that it's it's nice to have your focus on something else other than your phone when you're on your own and that's another thing which I think isn't spoken about enough either like people are just constantly on their phones all the time and not adding value to their life when they're not I'm the worst corporate for it mate I do it myself especially in the mornings and before I go to bed I can be sat there for like 30 minutes 40 minutes just in a cycle of looking at other people's stuff and during that time, I could be reading a book and having some time, some nice time on my own. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's crazy. But so that was your first year at uni. Did at the time? Do you remember exactly like who you first told after you found out your mum was terminal? Yes, I definitely told some of the girls. I think I might have put it on the group chat. What like home friends? Yeah, home friends. And some of them called me. I remember my friend Rachel Gibson giving me a call, and then. I'd completely forgotten about this until I was reminded of it a few months ago. Um, my friend Jack Barnett, that I've been friends with since I went to high school, I was with him a few months ago, and he said, oh, yeah, I remember that day you found out because I called you. And I was like, what? He'd called me that night, and we'd had a full conversation on the phone, and I literally don't even remember it. Yeah, it's just, like, a complete blur. Like, ever since he told me, I can kind of remember being on the phone to him, but I don't know whether that's just my brain putting that in there now. But yeah, that evening is just a crazy, yeah. crazy blur. It's insane. Yeah, well, because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, because I know it was a while between you finding out that your mum was diagnosed terminal mm-hmm. when she actually died. And I know for me, when I think back to the time in between, um, was found out that dad was terminal and before he died, like, so, so much of it is a blur. I, I think I'm just making stuff up now, because... 
I'm like, did I remember that? Yeah, it seemed, it does seem insane, because like, that gap, I think, because for me, there was, there was about just under two years, it was about one year, nine months between yeah. me finding out that she was terminal and her actually dying. When you found, when you found out, did they, were you given like a time frame or anything? Yeah, we were given approximately max two years. Right, so you were told it was... A two-year Yeah, which is crazy because you're told that they're just going to be deteriorating for two years and there's not much you can do about it. She was offered chemotherapy to extend her life. But I think the thought was, what's the point? I think she just didn't... She didn't want to go through... She didn't want to spend the last couple of months of her life going through chemo and being sick and not being able to do anything, which I I completely understand it. And I I don't think I was ever, ever angry with her for that, to be honest, because... Who would want to spend the last couple of months of their life going through that? Like, it's just not nice. And yeah. my mum was very family orientated and she loved being on her bike. And imagine if she was having chemo and she couldn't go and see people because she was unwell and she couldn't get on her bike and she just wouldn't be living her life at all. Yeah. So the good thing is within those kind of two years, she did live normally as such as much as you could do. She did create a bucket list and it was really <laughs> long and really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> I I remember reading it. I think we've got it. What did she have? Like a five star holiday to Dubai? <laughs> Can you imagine my mum five star holiday to Dubai? Um, she wanted to go to Israel. So my mum, oh, really? yeah, my mum was a strong Christian, and she'd always wanted to go to Israel. Unfortunately, we like we just couldn't do that. The price of going to Israel plus the price of insuring her in Israel would have been crazy. Oh. Yeah. yeah. However, we did do some really nice stuff in those two years. For example, my mum and I went on our first and only girls' holiday. Um, so yeah, yeah. So this is in the July of the first year we found out, and me and mum were at home, and I was like, I was like, mum, I really want to go away, like just you and I, because in my head that was on my bucket list, like to have some time with her on my own. We literally that day went into town, went to a travel agents and booked a holiday for 10 days later. So nice. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad got home and we were like, um, dad, <laughs> we may or may not have just spent a fortune and booked a holiday. <laughs> so we went to Sorrento in Italy and it was absolutely amazing. And I think my dad was worried whether we'd cope because my mum still had really bad side effects ever since her bowel cancer she had a lot of problems with her bowels and she couldn't she didn't she couldn't hold her shit in basically so if she needed to go she needed to go we planned i, I just love, i love the pause when you were trying to find a nice way to I'll say that hey, what else what are you gonna say <laughs> also, as you paused i was like this is gonna be like half like 50 percent of our podcast so far talked about shit <laughs> um so we kind of had to, I kind of planned it accordingly. So we had one day in the hotel, one day out, one day in, one day out. So that way she could take some Imodium on the days that we were going out. But on the days that we weren't, she wouldn't have to put that in her body. We planned it really well and it was literally such a special time for me. And I've got such fond memories of that holiday in Sorrento. And we saw some amazing things. So yeah, that was amazing. And then as well as that, we went on another family holiday, went to Croatia. My brother came and... My mum and dad went on, they bought a caravan, they went on quite a few trips around the country. Um, the last holiday, I think, with my mum, I was in Devon with her and my dad for a few days, and that was lovely. And she also ticked one thing off her bucket list, which was cycling 
from one end of the country to another. That's mad that she did that. It's literally insane. So this is in August 2015, so this is only three months before she died. And she was... God, yeah, I totally forgot how close that was. Yeah, yeah, it was just incredible. It was just beginning of August, end of July. So, yeah, it literally was just three months before. And she cycled from Whitehaven, which is, like, a bit above Lancaster, all the way over to Northumbria, crossing the whole of the UK. And it's just amazing. So it took it took them around a week. And my mum was in agony. I know that she was on a lot of morphine at the time, but she didn't really let it show that much and we actually found out she didn't want to go to the hospital until after my brother's wedding which was in September 26th so we actually found out after that when she finally went to the hospital that the tumour on her lungs had kind of pushed onto her spine so that's why she was in so much pain so she'd managed to do this bike ride with that so it's literally incredible absolutely amazing how did she do that as well because she obviously with her not having much use of her left hand side like how was she actually physically able to do that so she always loved cycling but she always really struggled to do it on a push bike and then one day she had to go on these things called recumbent bikes which is like a three-wheeled bike and there's two wheels at the back one wheel at the front and you sit on it kind of like like it would be like kind of an armchair sit on it kind of thing and you pedal and you, you use the steering on either side but it just meant that she didn't have to balance anymore and she absolutely loved that bike it gave her so much freedom it was incredible we've got a really funny video of oh. her um we used to do loads of family bike rides and we've got a really funny video of her going down a hill going horrendously fast and we'd put a camera on the road to watch her go down but she didn't know it was there and <laughs> she was going down the hill crazy fast and all of us were going mom mom watch out for the camera watch out for the camera then you can just say this like skid marks and she skidded past it when she saw it it's literally the most amazing video it's so funny but yeah that that bike gave her so much freedom it was oh, incredible oh that's so nice is that is that video something that you still got now yeah yeah i can definitely source it out is that do you do you like ever go back and like look at it I haven't seen it for a while, to be fair, but usually when the family and I are looking through photos and stuff, whenever somebody comes across that, we're like, oh, no. <laughs> so funny. So, yeah, there was, we had kind of touched on this before, there was a really long time between me finding out and her actually passing away. And some people would say, you're so lucky that you had that time to kind of process it, but you, you don't really process it during that time because it's such a long period. And also, but still in the back of your mind, you know that at some point they're going to die. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss soon it's just actually just like really horrible 
I think we spoke about it as well. There's all, I mean, there's there's literally pros and cons to finding out, like, anyway. There's never, like, a, oh, oh yeah, I really actually enjoyed it when I found out that my mum was Yeah. <laughs> I really enjoyed that time. Like, it's like with Chris, when Chris came on, like, his dad had died and nobody had rung him and he found out by calling yeah. the house phone, you know? He's not going to turn around and be like, I'm really glad that I never had any time to prepare for that. <laughs> Yeah, like, and I think you, you always think you you always think what it would be like to be in a situation that's different to your own. Yeah, yeah, you always think somebody else is luckier than you with the way that they went through it. Yeah, definitely. Or, or worse off, like. Oh like, yeah. No. Yeah, definitely. Like, I couldn't imagine going through what Chris went through. I think that's terrible. So you had this two years. I think my mental health really deteriorated within that time. Obviously, I was struggling in first year anyway, so that was really bad. And then I went into second year, and second year. To be fair, it was like a, like a fun year for me. I've got good memories of it. You know, we had the JCR and stuff. I was in a like a really kind of like fun relationship at the time. I had that like that person's support. So the year you met me, it was yeah because of the JCR stuff. Yeah, best year of your life, that mate. You'll never forget. It was, you know. So because that was January twenty fifteen when we started in the JCR. So that was second year at uni was actually a really fun time for me, and I did really enjoy it. And it's crazy kind of looking back and thinking, gosh, all that time I spent at uni when I, I probably could have really been at home. But at the same time... Did you ever think that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Because it's weird to be at uni and having a good time. When at the same time, all I really wanted to do was spend every day with my mum because I knew that there wouldn't be much longer left. Did you ever speak to your mum about that? And did she ever have any opinion of... Like, was was there kind of any influence from home to be like, no, stay or no, come The back? only time that really happened was at the beginning of my third year when she was in hospital. And I think everybody knew that this was going to be the last however long. And... Luckily, I hadn't attended any lectures and seminars yet, so this was just after Freshers' Week, and my I'd gone to see her in hospital. Well, originally, because I was really scared about doing this, so I was sat with my dad in the living room downstairs, <clears throat> we're having a conversation, and I was so terrified to say it, but I was like, Dad, I'm really sorry, but I think I'm going to have to leave uni for a year. I was just saying to him, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to do this, I don't think I'm going to be able to deal with it and get a good grade and I was so scared of asking him and kind of telling him this because obviously it affects him so much and we'd already paid for my accommodation so it's such a massive thing but my my dad was amazing about it he was like no I totally understand it's absolutely fine so that was like such a relief when I'd had that conversation and I was like oh thank goodness I don't I don't have to have this added stress at that but then it was the case of telling my (laughs) mum And she definitely wasn't happy. Was she not? No, she, because in her head, she had never accepted the fact that she was going to die. And I think she was determined to last that year and see me graduate. So her thing was like, I really want to see you graduate. And because I'd suspended the year, she was then like, well, I'm not going to see you graduate now. I think she, I think she knew that she was going to die, but I don't think she admitted that it was going to be so soon. But one of the last texts that I sent to her was, love you, please don't be too disappointed. I just want to be able to spend time with you without worrying about my degree. Oh, man. Yeah, so that was one of the last messages that I'd sent to her phone that's heartbreaking yeah she yeah it was sad and she she just really wanted to see me graduate and I think that was her then realizing that she wouldn't be able to mm-hmm. so it was a really big decision to make and a really hard one but the uni was so supportive like incredibly supportive and I think especially because after my mum died my mental health was really bad really deteriorated it was definitely the best decision I could have made. So whilst, obviously, just kind of before she died, um, obviously those two years, you spoke about your mental health deteriorating, but 
what what did that actually look like like what did that mean for you I think it, more so in second year it was more kind of behind the scenes I didn't spend any time on my own my boyfriend at the time we stayed with each other constantly so that I didn't I didn't spend any time on my own to kind of get upset about it that was definitely my distraction and obviously you know like the JCR was so super busy wasn't it and that takes up so much of your time so to be honest with you my second year fine definitely wouldn't be the right word to say because behind the scenes I definitely wasn't fine but did you did you know that or was it like um no it's definitely looking back yeah I think at the time I was just a bit in denial I think because it had been so long since we'd found out I think I was just a bit like I've got time, it's going to be all right. And then, yeah, it was definitely more so after she died and I was just a mess. It was terrible. Like, explode then, don't you? Yeah, yeah, it was It was really bad. I remember sitting down with you guys in the living room, kind of opening up to you about it a bit more because I hadn't wanted to even tell, like, acknowledge it myself, really, just how much I was struggling. But I remember sitting down with you guys in, like, January 2016, so a few months after it had happened, and kind of telling you all that I was on antidepressants and stuff, and that remember, yeah, and that was a really scary thing to do because, especially like after it happened, there would, there had been a few times when I just I didn't want to live, like I just I couldn't I couldn't foresee a life without my mum or any kind of life where I was going to be happy. I just couldn't picture it, and I just didn't want to be there anymore. And it's such a scary thing to think that every day, at some point during that day, I would think to myself that I wanted to die. And I think looking back now, especially now because I don't have those thoughts every day anymore, it's such a horrible thing to have to go through. Yeah. To have have those those thoughts running around your head, and it's definitely not sp- spoken about enough either. And I don't know whether I would have gone through with anything. I I can't say that. I don't know. I think I definitely thought I would at the time but it's not just about that you shouldn't you shouldn't have to have actually do anything for people to understand just how much pain you're going through even just thinking to yourself every day that you don't want to be on this planet anymore is painful enough and I think it's shocking enough really to have to be a bit more proactive and do something about it yeah I remember kind of being sat there and you telling us that and I just I mean I didn't I didn't know what to say I can't remember what I did say to you or if I did at all I think luckily for me like this is where like the, the power of that uh, our other friendships came in was it the, yeah, other, the other girls knew what to say so I was I think I struggled because I I always knew what to say when you were talking about um and stuff I always knew the perfect thing to say because I'd been there but this was like the first time that I was like, oh, fuck, I don't know what to say to her here. Like, I can't give any advice. It is quite a crazy thing. And I don't really think people really do know what to say unless you've been through it. Like for me now, even, to be fair, even with me now, when people open up to me about depression and stuff, even I don't really know what to say because everybody's experience of it, the same with having a parent dying, is so different. And how they deal with stuff is so different. So for me, my way of kind of keeping my mental health better now is by going to the gym and having that time to myself, like I said before, like reading a book and doing something productive. And I think how I didn't help myself back then was the amount of time I would spend in my bed just rotting and being upset. And I think that at the time you feel like you can't do anything else, but I think you can, like, if you can just get yourself up and get outside and just go for a walk, it makes such a massive difference. But it's so much easier said than done when you're in that situation. And I think it's definitely as well as, having people around you that distract you at the time you think it's a good thing but it's not so obviously you know that I was in a relationship at the time after my mum had died and I kind of ended it in a panic because I didn't know how to behave in that relationship anymore because my life had changed so much like he was with somebody who had a mum and had some of that support 
and then suddenly my life completely changed and I was like I don't feel like the same person anymore and I feel like I shouldn't be with this person anymore because I'm not them and we broke up for a few weeks but ended up getting back together but then I relied on him being in my life I think a bit too much at that point like he was he was there I kind of pushed myself away but I I knew that he was there and he was very much a distraction for me so whenever I was upset I'd go and see him but I think our issue there was that we didn't sit down and talk about how I was feeling very much like I never admitted to him the severity of my depression at the time I didn't admit it until I think four or five months later and I think that definitely affected things and then so when we broke up I was definitely felt like I'd gone back to the beginning and I was then having to deal with it all by myself again. What helped you through it at the time? Definitely you guys. You guys were amazing I think but also my time at Pandora as well I think that whole year was just a massive blessing so obviously after she died my mum I already applied for a job for Pandora and they were opening a store in Lancaster and I remember I had to go to training four days if that after she died and I had to text my kind of manager and be like hey I'm really sorry like I'm coming to training and stuff but my mum's just died so I have to go home for a day next week for a funeral (laughs) and it was just like such an insane thing to text to somebody like I think I literally did it the day that she died because I was panicking like oh my god what if they don't hire me now because yeah I actually remember you like saying to me about that yeah I don't know about Pandora I was like dude your mum's just died (laughs) (laughs) I think that they rung me and they were like oh my god like you don't have to come to training and I was like no I do I can't bear to be the only person that doesn't know what they're doing I'll come I'll come but that training consisted of two weeks away from home in Hanley so that was really intense yeah and during that time in a hotel room Michael by yourself as well wasn't it yeah it was really sad like I just remember being in the room some of the other girls had gone downstairs for a drink and I just lay there and just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed it was terrible and I think it was so hard because in that situation my mum would have been the first person that I would ring and suddenly I obviously couldn't ring her could I like it was just insane and I can't believe I actually went and did that I'm I'm still shocked I I went straight after she died spent two weeks away came home for like a day and a half for a funeral then went back to work again and it was just that I was just surrounded by strangers and Anyway, I think going through that and then starting work at Pandora, those girls were amazing and having that purpose in my life and I was I was good at the job and I enjoyed it and working there was just amazing. I'm so grateful that I had that job with those people and then being able to come home from work and all you guys being there with a cup of tea and Nana's biscuits and sitting down and having a chat. I don't know what I would have done without that support network. I think it was, I for one was so, so lucky. You had a, a, a lot of people around you that really did care about you a lot. Yeah, I'm so incredibly blessed about that. I don't know what would happen if I hadn't. And obviously with my family as well, I'm, I've gotten very close like with some of my aunties and stuff. And I appreciate their time. And my cousins as well. I'm extremely close to my cousins. And I, I remember times at nine, it would be two in the morning and I'd ring my cousin Kim and she'd be like, hello. Like obviously woken up from sleep and all she'd hear on the other end of the phone was me going, <laughs> oh God, I can't tell you the amount of phone calls I I just ring people and make that noise like <laughs> and they're just, they're just like are you okay and you're like no <laughs> <laughs> like what what are you expecting from that person when you ring them uh, literally what I've got no idea what I would expect you just want somebody there to listen to you cry rather than being on your own oh it's so sad <laughs> yeah, it is it is really sad isn't it oh but yeah, I am. I do consider myself extremely lucky. Like, yeah, I have 
you know, I've lost my mum and I miss her so much every single day. It hurts, but I've also gained literally such incredible friendships with my family and my friends. I value them so much. And when I meet new people now that I value, I can't, I put everything into that kind of new friendship and relationship I can't I don't hold anything back anymore and especially a lot of my friends from home as well like some of them are absolutely amazing just remembering stuff and texting me about it and asking me if I'm okay it just makes such a difference yeah you've got some really really good friends I mean it's obviously it says a lot about you as well because no one's a good friend to someone that isn't a good friend to them yeah oh thank you I definitely consider myself to be very lucky and then it's crazy to think that I've gone through such a hard time, but I've come out the other end of it, and I've, I've, I still struggle with my mental health and my depression and my anxiety, but it's nowhere near to the extent that I was doing, and I've definitely learnt ways to deal with it, and I'm also a lot more open about it now as well. In work, if I'm having a bad week or whatever, I, I feel comfortable to go into the HR office and say, I feel like crap, like I'm, I'm horrendously miserable, and and they'll be there for me and they'll take they'll take their time out of their day to speak with me and that's another thing I'm incredibly lucky for to work for a company that will take the time to talk to me about things like that. Before we go back to that stuff, can we go back to the death? Because you know, that's what I love talking about. So when like what what happened when your mum actually died what was the last week like did she because she died at home didn't she as well yeah she did so I remember I was in Lancaster my dad had texted me and had said you need to come home so I was like god right okay so I just you know you know shit's going down yeah yeah I was like right okay here we go so I traveled home and I walked in and like my brothers were all there and my mum was like in bed so my mum my mum couldn't really get out of the bed anymore I think because of her back and stuff and it's just a bit of a nightmare so we'd set her up in this snug room that we have downstairs in my house where we've got big double doors that go onto the garden so it's a light it's a light room and it's nice Mm -hmm. to sit in so we set her up in there in a bed and that week was kind of a bit of a blur of like people coming around and seeing her and talking to her and stuff because for the first couple of days yeah she was ill and tired but she was compass mentis and was having conversations. And my parents actually celebrated their 30th wedding anniversary on, I think it was like the 2nd of November or something, on a Saturday. So my mum my mom was still very much aware and there for that and all their friends came over and like talked with her and stuff and that was lovely that they got to celebrate that time together, like a whole 30 years. And then I think on the Tuesday, she definitely deteriorated a lot that day and hadn't spoken much for the entire day and we were struggling to feed her and stuff. I think one of the last things she'd said to me that week, I was going out to get work clothes for this Pandora training. And she went, she hadn't spoken really to me all day. And I went went down to her and I was like, hey, mum, like me and Pete are just going to go out and go and get some stuff for work. And she went, make sure you go to next. (laughs) (laughs) That's one of the last things she said. It's so funny. So then I think by the Wednesday, she was like very much uh, like not hardly speaking at all. And we were feeding her some pineapple pieces and we'd wrap them in a sort of cloth so that she could get like the juices out of it so it's just a bit of flavor for her really more than anything else and then we were sat with her all day then and then that was when the kind of what do they call they called the death rattle that was when like the death rattle started and that is the most horrendous sound in the whole entire world anybody that I think has had to listen to that I feel so sorry for them I remember it all the time and it's one of the memories that really sticks in my head I literally like I could I can hear it throughout the whole house like anywhere you were you could just hear this noise 
and we had a Marie Curie nurse staying over because none of us had had flat. To be fair, I'd had sleep. They were really good. They let me sleep, but my dad and my brothers and stuff were struggling. They hadn't had any sleep. So this Marie Curie nurse came over and sat with her for one night whilst everybody else got some sleep. So my mum's mum was there. My mum's sisters were there. So my auntie Meryl, my auntie Sally and my uncle David. Unfortunately, I don't think he arrived until after, just after she died. He was on his way, but he was a bit late, bless him. And my auntie Emma arrived, I think, the day before. So we had so much family there. We've got this big, massive jigsaw that we'd started creating in, in the living room. So throughout that whole week, whenever we weren't doing anything, we started playing with this jigsaw puzzle. And it was huge. It must have had like a thousand pieces in it. And we've kept it under the sofa because it was literally like, I think the day after she died, it was finished. We put the last couple of pieces in the jigsaw. Have you still got it now? Yeah, we've still got it, yeah. We keep it under the sofa. The moment she died is such a, a crazy thing for me to remember. So obviously my mum had constantly had people around her for like the last week. Like she was never left on her own. And her and my dad were never left on their own either. Like we were always there. And I think my grandma was making everybody a cup of coffee. And she walked through and she was like, right, everybody, come to the living room, come and have your cup of coffee. So everyone left that room and went into the living room for a coffee, apart from my dad. And um, my dad like went to go and pick it up. And then he was like, oh no, I'm going to give Joanne a hug. And we'd had these hymns on repeat, like a hundred best hymns or whatever, on repeat for the last couple of days, just for some sort of sound. And my mum's favourite hymn came on and my dad gave her a, like a big hug. He put his arm underneath her and gave her a hug. And I was sat on the sofa in the living room looking into the snug. My dad gave her a hug and I just watched her, watched her take like her last breath. And I was sat there and I was watching for her chest to move again. It just didn't move. And I was just like, uh, I remember, oh, it makes me cry. <laughs> and I was just sat there and I watched her take it and I just like ran over and like I just sobbed and sobbed and stopped, sobbed and she just didn't take another breath. And like, it was, yeah, really painful. I think, it, yeah. I think it's one thing having a parent die, I think it's another thing literally watching it happen. But how was that having her like in the house? Was there was there ever an option to go to a hospice, or was it very much her wish to be in the house? I think she definitely would have wanted to be in the house. The hospice people came over and wanted to move her, and I think well, I think what must I think what must have happened was was that maybe they saw that she had such a big support network there. We had two nurses in our family as well, so... We don't want all these lot in our hospice. Well, yeah, exactly. It would have been awful, like, all of us there. Can you imagine? Yeah, I think there was definitely an option at the time, but I think they, they noticed it and they decided not to take her. And I, to be honest with you, well, they said, we don't think she's going to survive the journey at this point anyway. So that was definitely the best decision. And I, I am glad. I'm glad that she died at home. It's I would have wouldn't have liked her to go to a hospital. It is crazy. I, I just feel like I don't ever really want it. I don't want my dad to ever sell this house. I think such a massive thing has happened in it. I can't imagine us ever having to move out of it. <laughs> so how did the next few days play out? I know obviously you had the training and stuff kind of four days after. I don't remember much of it, to be honest. The only thing is I really remember a lot of it. After she died, we opened some bottles of Prosecco in the kitchen. <laughs> Celebrate. <laughs> so weird. I don't know why I did that. Um... You probably, I mean, you definitely need a drink. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I remember calling you. I remember calling Matt. Matt was in the library and I was like, Matt? He's like, yeah, you're right. And I was like, are you in the library? He was like, yeah. I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. He was like, no, what is it? Because he was whispering and I was like, my mum just died. And he was like, oh, shit. 
<laughs> like it's not the kind of conversation you want to have in the library, is it? I really remember the conversation when we'd been like texting like up and to that point as well, kind of thing. Yeah. Because I remember that one thing that I that really selfishly made me feel like really like warm at the time was when we were texting before she died. Yeah. And you were like, like you were almost saying like, oh, it's just getting like it's really long now. And yeah, it said to you because I remember when we were in the hospital, Dad. Literally, we were saying to him like, "You can go now." Like, yeah, like go. <laughs> it gets to the point where you just like, can you, like, can you please just like take out the plug now because it's it's just it's painful enough, and to have it longing, you just like seriously you're taking the piss. Yeah, but because Mum died on bonfire night, she was definitely waiting for a specific date. <laughs> Yeah, so she could have like, fireworks for it. Yeah. yeah, I remember like watching the fireworks that night, just yeah. think, thinking of your mom. Oh yeah, I I remember sitting in the living room with the curtains open and seeing all these fireworks going off. I do that now. I like the fireworks night since every time I see them, I think of my mom. I recall kind of sending my friends a few messages, and then I also remember sitting in the living room with my dad, composing a Facebook message on my mom's account, <laughs> telling all of her friends that she was dead. Oh God, isn't that the worst? It's such a weird thing to have to do. Such a weird thing. I remember having to do that. Like, oh, because did did your mum give you all like her passwords and stuff? No, my dad just knew them. Oh, fair. Yeah, that's the weirdest thing. Like writing a Facebook statement from a dead person. Like, yeah, it's like it's not weird that you have to do this. And I think we really could have done with waiting maybe a day or two. But I think my dad just wants to get it out of the way and let people know. And then yeah, it just gets harder then. Otherwise, after that. Yeah, it was just such a weird thing to do. And then I remember the pastor from the church coming over, maybe like the day after or two days later, to talk about funeral arrangements and stuff and picking out songs and who was going to say stuff. Other than that, I don't really know what I did. <laughs> I've literally got no clue. Did you like do much of the logistics around the funeral? No, that was very much left to my dad and like a bit to do with my brothers and stuff. I didn't really have anything to do with it other than I really wanted to say say a poem I didn't because what I didn't want I didn't want the whole funeral to go by without me having had some sort of input so yeah I, I, did, I did that poem didn't I on the funeral day and I think that was really funny because my my grandma slipped me a diazepam I can't believe that <laughs> the warning of the funeral she's like here you go take this and I was like what is it she's like doesn't matter what it is just have it <laughs> I think by the time we got because we, we did the creme first and at the creme I was a state but by the time we got to the church for the funeral I'd literally just like plateaued and I was just like I didn't really feel anything it was such a weird thing to go through but I think if it wasn't for that I wouldn't have been able to have gone up and said that poem that I did to be fair so I literally love it so much I really really love it and do you know what I think that poem has shaped so much of how you now um like deal with it and how you've dealt with it I completely agree uh, that like that is what dpc is about right like just talk about it like and i think it's so so crucial that i mean i always say don't don't ever don't be afraid to like talk about dead people if you would if you would tell a story about them if they were alive like still tell it doesn't matter that they're dead yeah so that isn't it why should i be out of mind because i'm out of sight just so true and i love it so much (laughs) yeah so do i it's so nice to read and the backstory of that as well the reason why we chose it is because my mum had picked it up with her mum in St Luke's Hospice a few weeks or months previous and it said that it reminded her of her dad because her dad died of cancer when she was 19 or no about about 20 so we found it again and I remember my mum telling me that that was why she had picked it up 
So I was like, this is going to be the perfect thing to read. So lovely. Yeah, so it, mean, it means an awful lot. Such a lovely poem. Obviously, it wouldn't be the DPC podcast without talking about some of the hashtag banter. What was the like the most awkward situation or or like the most awkward like dead parent joke that you've made and it's not been received very well oh gosh um oh, i don't know because i do dead parent jokes all the time <laughs> yeah. it, it's really hard to kind of pick them up i think definitely one of the funniest ones was when you and i were in lancaster i think it was must, was it freshers week last year so this time last year yeah, yeah I think it was. Robin. So we we were there with some of our Sam and I were there with some of our friends and we were in their house and we kind of got on onto the discussion of like what we what we'd had like this time last year, like the year before, or two or like when we were at uni and stuff. Yeah, we were like reminiscing of being at uni. Yeah. And I was like, Oh god, like at uni, because at, at this time I was unemployed. And I was like, at uni I had three jobs. I was like living with all of my friends. I had a boyfriend. And then I went quiet and I went I had a mum. <laughs> the girls were just sat there like, oh. I remember. I was like crying. Yeah. Like, I can't say that. I think. Yeah, just like the look on the girls' faces. They were like, what? Did it? No. No, Kat, you can't. Um, another time recently was when me and my friends from home had come back from Portugal and we dropped Imogen off at her house and her mum was waiting at the door to give her a hug. And Lucy went, oh, I wish my mum would give me a hug like that. And I went, oh, I wish I had a mum. <laughs> <laughs> and it is, it is just so brutal. But like, it's just like the way that I deal with it. And I think if I want to say something about my mum, and like, because it's true, like I do wish I, I do wish I had a mum. But yeah. I think it's just easier to put it in that humorous context. Oh, yeah, I totally feel that. And, uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday, but Sam Jones tagged me in a really funny post on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did see so this. funny. Where so it was a post on Instagram, and the message was, "If your ma can't find it, it's fucking gone." And then Sam Jones, um, who was also on this podcast a few weeks ago and spoke about losing his mum, tagged me in it and put, "Looks like it's gone." Then <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Oh my goodness, that is so funny." Oh, that did make me laugh. Oh, he is funny, but there's literally just so many opportunities for um for their parent jokes just throughout the day was there anything that anyone did or said that was really that really helped you was really crucial or valuable to you at the time that really helped you I think things that helped me the most were definitely moments in the flat when I'd be in bed upset and you or Amy and the girls would all come just be with me I think moments like that are just just completely invaluable and those are the kind of moments that I'm so glad that I had you guys with me with me at the time it's just having somebody there isn't it to listen to you when you're upset what advice would you give to someone who's either recently joined the DPC or about to join the DPC I think the most important thing is that it's gonna hurt and you have to let that hurt in if it's definitely going to be one of the most painful things that you'll ever go through in your entire life like it literally hurts like down to the core but it's also hard to imagine at the time but that hurt definitely does lessen as time goes on and it's true what they say like time does heal but also remember that that doesn't mean that you have to forget them either I think as we were saying earlier it's really important that you're you still feel like you can talk about your parent I think that's a really important aspect of healing you should never feel like that because that person's dead they didn't exist because 
they were a massive part of your life. And I think to pretend that they were never there and they never played a part in your life is probably one of the most upsetting things. So I would definitely say talk and talk about them as much as you can and as often as you can. And even if you feel like your friends, even if you feel like talking about it makes your friends feel awkward or is a burden to them, I can probably account for most people's friends, especially mine, that that's not going to be the case and they're going to enjoy hearing about your parent because as Sam said before if you were going to talk about them when they're alive and the stories that you spoke about when they were alive then why shouldn't you do it now just because they're not there anymore I think that's definitely really important talking is definitely the best therapy and I would completely stand by that forever death is nothing at all it does not count I have only slipped away into the next room nothing has happened everything remains exactly as it was I am I and you are you, and the old life that we lived so fondly together is untouched, unchanged. Whatever we were to each other, that we are still. Call me by the old familiar name. Speak of me in the easy way which you always used. Put no difference into your tone. Wear no forced air of solemnity or sorrow. Laugh as we always laughed at the little jokes that we enjoyed together. Play, smile, think of me, pray for me. Let my name be ever the household word that it always was. Let it be spoken without an effort, without the ghost of a shadow upon it. Life means all that it ever meant. It is the same as it ever was. There is absolute and unbroken continuity. What is this death but a negligible accident? Why should I be out of mind because I am out of sight? I am but waiting for you, for an interval, somewhere very near, just around the corner. All is well, nothing is hurt nothing is lost. One brief moment and all will be as it was before. How we shall laugh at the trouble of parting when we meet again. That was beautiful. Thank you. I know that this has been quite a long, (laughs) this has been quite a long podcast and you're probably sick of the sound of my voice. However, we did realise that we were doing these podcasts with other people and making them talk about their loss for a really long amount of time and we hadn't actually done it for each other. And Sam really does love talking about her dead dad. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. I actually really do. <laughs> oh my god! The other day, I obviously I've been having this like quarter life crisis, and um, I said to my sister, right, if I was gonna, because I was like, right, how do I, how do I figure out what I'm best at? I was like, right, Penny, if I was gonna, if I was gonna write a book on something, what like what would it be? Like, what do you think it would be? And she was like, I don't know. Dad died. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I don't know, Dad died. <laughs> I mean, you could definitely write a novel on that, mate. Well, maybe, maybe you can. Maybe the next venture is going to be writing a book. Well, the DPC. Yeah, book. that'd be yeah, nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, anyone out there want to um, fund this for us? <laughs> Feel free, you know, we'll set up a DPC fund. <laughs> go fund me. <laughs> oh my God, like, go fund me. <laughs> um, one thing I think it is important to end on also is to remember the day that we release this is uh, Tuesday the 9th of October. Tomorrow will be Wednesday the 10th of October, which is World, World Mental Health Day. Day. I think if we, it's really important that everyone kind of takes a moment to talk to people around them about mental health. Just ask people how they are, you know? How are you today? Exactly. Crucial. Love the people right. around you guys. Peace and love. Peace and love. <laughs> Ta-ra! I hate it when you do that. Thank you so much for listening to this week's DPC podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have and have found some comfort in the stories that you've heard today. If you've resonated with anything we've said, 
have any questions or want to get involved, please do contact us. We are on Instagram. It's at DPC Podcast. You can email us on dpcpodcast at hotmail.com or we have a contact form on our website www.dpcpodcast.co.uk We have a whole bunch of resources over on our website. More information about dealing with grief, losing a parent and professionals to contact if you should need it. Because as Kat so eloquently said in our first podcast, we're not providing healthcare, we're just chatting (laughs) If you think this podcast could help someone, then we would love for you to share it. We upload new podcasts every week, so make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out. Loads of love from Sam and Kat. See you next Tuesday. Nailed it. Nailed it. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.